Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. The LSU Tigers continue creeping, creeping up the college football playoff rankings. New rankings came out last night. Top four, no different. Top five, no different. Right? Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, TCU, Tennessee. But now at six, firmly planted and positioning themselves as the first two-loss team to make a college football playoff if they win out, if they beat Georgia in the SEC championship game, are the LSU Tigers above a one-loss USC team. And that'll be interesting to see how that pans out. Be interesting to see how this scenario goes. And not only with if LSU can beat Georgia, and once again, that's a big what if, then what do you do with Georgia? They'd be the number one team. Would they drop out of the top four? Probably not. Then you have the loser of Michigan. Ohio State, which I would argue has a valid argument to be in the playoff. I would argue that that have just as much, if not more, of an argument to get in the playoff than Tennessee. But then there's TCU, who despite being a more than a touchdown dog last weekend, Took care of the Texas Longhorns. Texas is back. Mm. Eh. Still not quite there. But top four, top five, not changed. But LSU now at number six. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and company on this frigid, frigid Wednesday morning. 6.06, and we got a great show lined up for you today. Jesse Coger from Plant the Spear. He covers the Florida State Seminoles. We had him on right before the start of the season because obviously LSU and Florida State played each other in the Louisiana kickoff down inside the Caesar Superdome. That Florida State team ended up being pretty good, ranked 19 in the most current college football playoff rankings. Norville's turned it around finally. Took a little while, but it seems like the Seminoles have turned a corner. They're gearing up to host the Louisiana Raging Cajuns 
on Saturday to preview the game and to give us more insight about the Seminoles is Jesse Coger. That'll be coming up at 7 o'clock at 7.30, the return of the Mad Dog, who sent me a video last night of him in the background of a scene. And there he is, plain as day. <laughs> plain as day. I can't wait to can't wait to see the actual episode. <laughs> Giant tall man walking in the background, pretty noticeable. But we'll talk LSU, and we'll touch on that UAB game, which will be the home finale for the Tigers. That'll be this Saturday, eight o'clock kick. Of course, you can listen to it live right here on the game. Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, will join us. We'll talk football, getting the much-needed win against Georgia Southern to get to five wins for Coach Dez's team. What does he think of their chances at Florida State, and what does he think of their chances at Texas State to get bowl eligible? And then Andrew Juge from the Saints Happy Hour podcast. Not a lot of things to be happy about if you're a Saints fan, as was demonstrated yesterday when Hannah Five Names Grabbed the microphone not once, not twice, but three times during the show to rant. We're talking yelling. We're talking standing up out of her chair and ranting into the microphone. Today, she's far more docile. I don't know if that's because of medication or because she had a good breakfast. Either way, we're happy to see the happy Hannah and not the footlish Hannah that we saw yesterday. That's who we got lined up for you today. Four great guests. Of course, we're going to give you the latest news about Major League Baseball free agency. We're going to touch on the New Orleans Pelicans. We'll have our foodie poll question of the week, which is our poll question of the day every single Wednesday. Things could get down and dirty with that one. Just saying. Good. Well, let's talk more about the college football playoff. As expected, things pretty much remained the same. What I do find interesting is Florida State's now all the way up to 19. And why does that interest me? Not because they're hosting the Raging Cajuns on Saturday. Because that helps strengthen the resume of who? LSU. For whatever reason... And this caught LSU beat reporters, caught them by surprise when the initial rankings came out. Remember, LSU was firmly at 10 as a two-loss team. 10. And people went, say what? People went, what? What's going on? The committee values LSU. The committee values Brian Kelly as well. This is what this is also telling you. And I'm going to go out and say something else that may not be exactly popular. The committee's hedging their bets of getting two SEC teams into the field of four. Georgia, number one with the bullet, done. You're there. The defending national champs, they're going to play in the SEC championship game. Even if Georgia loses to LSU, Georgia's in. I'm telling you right now. The defending national champs who would not suffer a loss until the SEC championship game, 
are getting into the playoff field. So go ahead and put that in your bracket. Georgia's in. Done. Winner of Michigan-Ohio State, they're in. Because whoever wins that game, let's be honest, is going to roll in the Big Ten Championship game in Indianapolis. They'll play Purdue or Illinois or whoever they're going to face. doesn't matter. So winner of the game, the game, Michigan-Ohio State, is in. So half of your playoff field is set. It's already done. We can keep having these delayed television products if you like, but I'm letting you know half of the four is done. Georgia, obviously, barring an inexplicable loss to Georgia Tech or whoever the dogs are playing this week. If Georgia's undefeated heading into the title SEC championship game and they lose the championship game, they're in. doesn't matter if they win or lose the SEC title game, they're in. Winner of Michigan-Ohio State, in. So that's two of four. So what does that leave? That leaves TCU, which will have to be undefeated. TCU has to go undefeated in the regular season and win its conference championship game to get in. If they slip up just once, they're done. They're not in. No Big 12 team will be in the playoff. ACC, not a factor. Look at the rankings. Isn't going to happen. Clemson was their only shot. Boom. Clemson, North Carolina, best team available out of the ACC will go to the Orange Bowl. So ACC is not a factor. Big 12 has to depend on TCU. But the wild card in all this is not LSU. We focus so much on the Tigers, and rightfully so. We're an affiliate for them. We talk a lot of LSU. And it's not Tennessee either. The wild card in all of this? The USC Trojans. They're seven. They're seven. And unlike Tennessee, USC has an opportunity to win its conference championship. See, Tennessee can't. Once Tennessee's done with its regular season, it just has to sit and wait and hope there's chaos above them to get in. That's what they have to hope for. Now, if LSU wins the SEC championship game, they're getting in. They're at six. They're getting in. LSU will take the place of the loser of Michigan-Ohio State. And that would be Georgia, LSU, Michigan-Ohio State winner. And then the fourth will be up for grabs between the loser of Michigan-Ohio State, an undefeated TCU team, and then a possible one-loss USC team who would also be a conference champion. And that's why I say they're the wild card. Because of all the teams that will be vying for that last spot, once again, Michigan-Ohio State winner in, Georgia's in no matter what. Let's say Georgia beats LSU and LSU is not a factor. And LSU just goes to the Sugar Bowl or the Orange Bowl and has a great season, unexpected year under the first season of Brian Kelly's tenure. 
Let's say LSU's not a factor. Let's say Georgia wins. Okay, boom. Now, if you're the committee, you have to make a big decision. And let's say TCU wins out. They go undefeated. And the committee's forced to take TCU. They really don't want to take TCU. How they've ranked the Big 12 in the last, I don't know, four or five years tells you everything that you need to know about the Big 12 and how the committee views them. They would never say it, but the committee would love to see TCU lose because then that just eliminates TCU from the conversation. And now they can have bigger brands in there, and there's not many bigger brands than USC. Oh resurrected USC program with a dynamic young coach in Lincoln Riley and a Heisman Trophy candidate at quarterback. Both of those people transferred from Oklahoma. The resurrection of the Trojans. I could hear it in my head now. And they're going to have an opportunity if it comes down to it. Michigan, Ohio State winner, Georgia, they're in. And you're telling me they get to choose between a one-loss Tennessee team that didn't win its conference championship and a one-loss USC team that won its conference championship? Do I have to tell you who they're going to take? I, I shouldn't. They're going to take USC. The committee can sit here and tell us all they want that they're objective and they have their criteria, and they follow it, and they have guidelines, and it's all about perception is reality. And when you get a group of people into a room, everyone views it differently, slightly differently. Even though the facts may be presented to them in black and white, they still have their own perceptions. And I'm telling you, if TCU squanders and it comes down to having Georgia, Ohio State, and Michigan, because I think I think the loser of Michigan, Ohio State still gets in. Because I don't think LSU is going to beat Georgia. So that takes the number six team out of the equation, doesn't it? They're not a factor. So that leaves Tennessee team. Right? And that would leave a... One loss, possibly one loss, USC Pac-12 champion. If TCU loses, they'll take both Michigan and Ohio State and then it comes down to one spot. One loss, Tennessee, who didn't win its conference championship or one loss, USC team that did win its conference championship and also got to play another game. That's why conference championships are still relevant because it gives you the opportunity to get a bump right at the end. Now, that's not to say that that will happen. USC still has to play a Notre Dame team that seems to be playing its best football finally. Things have finally clicked for Marcus Freeman there in year one with the Fighting Irish. And then they would have to play a Pac-12 championship game. So still plenty of things to navigate for TCU, for USC. But look at your top seven. Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, TCU, Tennessee, LSU, USC. 
sure does feel like we're still going to have two SEC teams in the field. But don't be surprised. Instead of two SEC teams, we have two Big Ten teams. We'll see. It's fascinating. But the committee kind of tells on themselves. You just look at the rankings and you see who they're positioning for the last two weeks of the regular season. Who they're putting into range to be able to do some damage and to upset the apple cart, so to speak. we got to take a timeout. Love to hear from you. Game hotline's always open. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. Coming up here on RP3 and Company, we'll hear from Brian Kelly, the man in charge of those resurrected LSU Tigers, ranked number six in the college football playoff rankings. That's coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. LSU up to six. Tennessee sits at five. Two SEC teams lurking outside the top four for the college football playoff rankings. How's it going to all shake out? If you ask me today, I still feel two Big Ten teams are getting in. I think we're undervaluing Michigan. Their defense may be the best in the country. And... I know we're so focused on SEC, SEC, SEC. I get it. But Ohio State, Michigan, man, they look really good. They just do. And if it's a close game, and let's say Ohio State wins, I could still see Michigan getting into the playoff. Really could. Really could. Now, if TCU wins out and wins the Big 12, they're taking a spot. And what if USC wins out and wins the Pac-12? They could knock Michigan or Michigan Ohio State winner uh, loser out of playoff contention. Not to mention LSU could do it as well. I do not see a scenario where you're going to see three of them though. Just don't. Some people have mapped it out. Well, this could happen. This could happen. This could happen. And I guess it could, but you'd have to depend on Ohio State Michigan being decided by like forty points, which isn't going to happen. And I really think Tennessee's going to be on the outside looking in. But a lot could change. Heck, things could change this weekend. Just good. That's what makes college football so great. You never do really know what's going to happen. Brian Kelly, boy, what a job he's done in his first season at the helm of the LSU Tigers. They're on pace to get to 10 wins in a regular season. And they've already punched their ticket to the SEC championship game. They did so this past weekend. 
hard-fought game on the road in chilly conditions at Arkansas. Wasn't their prettiest game, but they got the job done. And then later, Alabama beats Ole Miss, and LSU has the SEC West title all locked up. And one of the key guys in that game, and a, a guy that's really developed as a key player for this team, is Josh Williams, the former walk-on who's become their best running back, really their lead running back in this offense. And Kelly talked about just how special it is, how how special Josh really is. I understand the question, but I, but I think it's important that, that running backs clearly understand that, that if you want to stay on the field, right, you, you can't be a miss it. You know, I'm going to miss you, right? You're going to, you're going to be on the field less because you can't pass pro. But what I think makes a really good, first of all, you've got to want to do it, right? You've got to have the technique. But more importantly, it's the ability to read and recognize defenses. Most backs go what we call coast to coast. They start on one side, and then if their read doesn't show, they have to go all the way across and then read the other side. And that's a lot. And so most backs have to be able to do that. And it requires a lot of film study. Coach Wilson has to spend a lot of time with those backs. And they have to watch a lot of film and pick up a lot of different blitzes. And so football intelligence is really important at that position. So in recruiting, we have to make sure that backs have that ability to do it. And and Josh is one. He's letting, he's letting you know exactly what type of running back he looks for. And the way the game has evolved so much, you have to be able to do multiple things as a running back. Not only do you have to be able to catch the ball, but you also have to be able to block. And that's what he's talking about. Josh is able to do it all. And that's why you're seeing Williams get the majority of the carries. You're seeing Williams getting majority of the snaps for LSU at running back. That has happened throughout the season. That's the guy they trust. That's the guy Jaden Daniels trusts. That's the guy Brian Kelly trusts. And he has played lights out for this team. On the other side of the football, we spent so much time talking about Harold Perkins Jr., who, let's be honest, is probably the best player on this year's LSU team as a true freshman. The Tasmanian Devil, as they like to refer to him as, number 40. But you know what? Greg Penn has had some moments as well, and he had a heck of a ball game against Arkansas. And Coach Kelly was asked, you know, what did he think of Greg's game, and did he think it was his best game of the season? Um, Now, we challenged him. Um, We challenged him because, as you know, Tolan's on his heels, right? He's coming on. He's making progress. He's doing some really good things. And and Greg, Greg can feel that. And I, I love the way he responded to that challenge. He, he played his best game. He played with physicality. He played with uh, great instincts. Um, and that's what we expect out of him. I think he's got to have a great offseason, which he will, in the weight room. And um, he's going to be a heck of a good player for us. But it's nice to have some young guys um, that, are, that are forcing that issue, too. So, yeah, it was really good to see him play. Yeah, Greg had a very kind of under-the-radar good game against Arkansas. I mean, look, Perkins had a phenomenal game, the type of game that tall tales are made out of. But Greg Penn had himself a heck of a game as well. Offensively, they took a step back, right? Jaden Daniels was not good. Turnovers, 
low in completion percentage, less than 100 yards passing. They relied on their run game, in particular Williams, to lead them on offense, and the defense was lights out. And Kelly was asked, you know, what do they need to do? What are they going to do to help grow the offense and make it even just 1% better for this coming week? Yeah, so, you know, we were defended uh, quite well. And, and so I think part of this is understanding what adjustments that we have to make when teams are looking to defend things that have been really good for us. So, you know, we've got to make some adjustments. We've got to look at how we're doing things and, and, and be, um, I think, one step ahead, you know, from that perspective. And um, have some adjustments, do some things that allow us to be uh, effective at what we're good at. And um, quite frankly, our preparation has to be better. We've got to coach better. And uh, I'll put a lot of that on myself in terms of preparing our football team, in particular. He says that a lot, which I like. Right? He holds his guys accountable, but he doesn't throw them under the bus. He says it comes back to coaching. i got to do a better job coaching. The best ones usually say that. Now, behind the scenes, he's probably chomping butt, right? What are you doing? Why didn't you go through your reads? Why didn't you hold your – right? He, he's doing what coaches do. But I like the fact that he doesn't throw his guys under the bus. Now, they win, and there was video circulated by LSU with the Tigers football team when they landed from their trip to Arkansas, came off the plane, they found out that they had – clinched the West, and they were going to the SEC championship game in Atlanta. They're taking on Georgia, defending national champs. But they still have two games left on the schedule. They got UAB this Saturday night, once again, 8 o'clock kick, pregame at 6. You can listen to it live all right here on the game. And then they have to go on the road to face a desperate dumpster fire team in Texas A&M, which is going to be a tricky game. I like them to win that game, but it's still a tricky game because they're not going to a bowl game. They got nothing to lose. The only thing Texas A&M can hang their hat on is ruining LSU's chances of making the playoff. So Kelly was asked, hey, are you or your staff already looking at Georgia? No. I mean, I think we'll have plenty of time, you know, to um, get information on Georgia. And and we're we're pretty much aware of you know, Georgia and who they are and what they're about. So, you know, our focus will be on UAB and, and A&M because it, it, they matter. Those games, for us, in terms of where we are uh, and the development of our program, these singular games are so important to us. Look, I get the SEC championship game is, is what it is, right? It gets you one step. But um, as we're climbing this ladder for us in terms of the development of our program, um, these games are so pivotal for us in terms of our development. It's it's crazy to be able to think of anything else. But That's the right mindset this team needs to have because they're still a young team, and LSU hasn't experienced success since 2019. They've had back-to-back awful seasons. So a lot of these guys don't know what it's like to win and don't know what it's like to be at that level. So having the focus of still treating UAB with a huge amount of respect and still treating Texas A&M with a huge amount of respect is exactly what a young team needs to do in year one of a transition. 
Because if they feel too good about themselves, they're going to slip up. And we've seen them. Once again, this team has made great strides. They have exceeded all expectations. But this is a team that struggled mightily in the opener against Florida State. This is a team that got curb stomped by Tennessee. They're not perfect. There's a reason why they have two losses. They can't take their foot off the gas. And Brian Kelly knows that better than anyone. We've got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we'll listen to the head coach of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. They got a big game this weekend. Can they be spoiler? Can they pull off an upset on the road against Florida State? We'll hear from Coach Dez. That's next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. RP3 came to the station this morning to do only two things. Kick some ass and drink some beer. Looks like we're almost out of beer. Well, it's kind of early for the latter, isn't it? Maybe. Probably. Maybe just a root beer or some flavored water. Back to more kick-ass sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. In Louisiana, there are thousands of miles of utility lines and gas pipelines buried just beneath the surface, and sometimes multiple lines are in one area. So look, if you are a contractor that you've hired is digging a hole to put in a new fence, a pool, or for any other reason, really doesn't matter what it may be, you run the risk of hitting an underground line by digging only a few inches. What happens then? Maybe only knock the power out for your entire neighborhood, but sometimes there's an explosion with injuries and even death it happens every single year. And there's a very simple way to avoid it. Before you dig, call 811. Call 811 two days before you dig. Tell the operator your address, and someone's going to come out and mark the location of buried lines so you or your contractor can avoid them. It's simple, it's free of charge, and it's the law. Louisiana 811 operates 811 as a public service and to promote public safety. Louisiana 811 and the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, wants to remind you call 811 and know what's below before you dig. Foodie poll question of the day time to unveil. We do this every single Wednesday. This is inspired by, once again, the eight-year-old. My daughter is something else. Just going to say it. My kid doesn't like pepperoni. Doesn't care for it. Can't convince her to eat it. I know. I'm getting looks from both producer extraordinaire Hannah Five Names and intern extraordinaire, now running the board, Moses Campos. It's a curious thing. So when we had our birthday party, <clears throat> cheese pizza. And she'll eat a pepperoni pizza, but she'll pick off the pepperoni. Kid just wants cheese pizza. That's all she wants. So this makes it a little bit more challenging when it comes to the Hot Pockets, a staple of any household. You loved them when you were a kid. You had to figure out how to cook them in the microwave and not do it too long. 
because nothing's worse than having the outsides of your hot pocket be like hard, almost like a blunt force instrument, right? No one wants that. You got you to gotta do the move of, of stabbing it with your fork to let it cool off. That way it doesn't burn the roof of your mouth. A lot of people love the Hot Pockets. They're, they're a great little snack or meal depending on what you want to use them for. And we have them at our house. So the wife was under the weather. And typically we always buy the ham and cheese. Because that's the one that my daughter likes. That's the one I prefer as well. I'll eat them all. But they were out of ham and cheese Hot Pockets. So I had to buy pepperoni and then I bought steak and cheddar. You should have seen my kid's face when I said, hey, I got a pepperoni hot pocket. And she looked at me and she goes, "Uh, daddy, I don't eat those. (laughs) Now, look, I'll eat a pepperoni hot pocket all day long. All right. I'll eat all the hot pockets. I, you know, I have no shame. It could be the there's I think there's a broccoli and cheese one. Right. I'll eat them all. But my kid was like, no. So she settled for the steak and cheddar one instead. And she's like, Dad, this is okay, but it's not the one that I like. So that led me to think, okay, she's already, you know, solidified her tasting, her taste, what she likes and doesn't like now at the age of eight. What's the best Hot Pocket? For me, it's ham and cheese. Now, the original Hot Pocket back in the day was a pepperoni, and then they made ham and cheese. Ham and cheese always seems, I never have to worry about the ham and cheese getting too hard around the edges like I do sometimes with a pepperoni one. Plus, it just tastes better. That's my favorite, but I wanted to hear from you. What is the best Hot Pocket? Is it the ham and cheese? Is it the pepperoni pizza? Is it the Philly steak and cheese? Or is it other because there's only about 47 different flavors of Hot Pockets now? Let's get, let's get to some some reaction here. Right now, 47% of you say pepperoni pizza is your favorite Hot Pocket. 23% say ham and cheese. 17% say Philly steak and cheese. 13% say other. Brad on Twitter says, but how about this little nugget? If LSU doesn't make the college football playoff, don't be surprised to see them matched up with Notre Dame in a New York 6 game if Notre Dame finishes 9-3. and three. That's great. Thank you, Brad. Thank you, Brad. He he, And he also voted because he did a pepperoni pizza emoji in there. It's in there. It's at the very beginning of his comment. John Paul, the Cajun daddy, says, have not had those in a long time, but when I was younger, it was the Philly steak and cheese, but paydays are the best candy bar. You can't really call it a chocolate bar. <laughs> Our old poll questions find a way to be recycled weeks and months later. JPK, the OD, shared a gift. That's a fat corn dog. JPK, the OD, says none of the above corn dog, the original Hot Pocket. We're going to have a conversation about JPK, the OD. He is an agent of chaos when it comes to the poll question. Yes, yeah, he is. He's also your, your fighting Teal fan, isn't he? There it is. Don on Twitter says, all about the Philly, but Steve's contribution is a very close second. Barbecue is fire. I wish I wasn't sick. Ooh, what does Steve has shared? What is, what is, what is this? 
Steve has shared a screenshot of a story about the barbecue recipe beef hot pocket. The internet really loves barbecue recipe beef hot pockets, and we're going to agree with you on this, even though the picture on the box looks less than appetizing. Barbecue recipe beef in a hot pocket? Right, what recipe? Brisket? Unlikely. The website just says premium beef, and we're not wholly certain what that means. Regardless, it's the barbecue sauce that's the real winner here. Tangy and flavorful. It's what people coming back for more and more and buying them in bulk. That may be the best contribution Steve has ever gave to our show. Ralph on Twitter says, Do Hot Pockets really classify as a foodie item? Are pizza rolls and bagel bites next? Well, yeah. (laughs) Are we binge-watching ABC after-school specials? I just put hand warmers in my pockets, and they stay pretty hot. (laughs) Don't be coming and saying bad things, Ralph, about pizza rolls or Hot Pockets or bagel bites. Anything that you could have that was somewhat cheap that your parents could buy you for a snack or, in some cases, a meal. Raise your hand if you had pizza rolls as an actual dinner from time to time. There we go. (laughs) Uh, Mr. Green says, barbecue, the only correct answer. Love the reaction that you guys are bringing this morning. Keep it up. Foodie poll question of the week is our poll question of the day on Wednesdays. What is the best hot pocket? Right now, 47% of you say pepperoni pizza. When we come back here on RP3 and Company, we'll close out our number one, talk a little Raging Cajuns football, hear from Coach Dez, and more. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. I mean, they're talented. You know, I mean, it's, it's Florida State, and they've got really good players. You know, in year three, you can see the progress that they've made the guys are playing the schemes the way they want to play. You know, you go back and watch some of the years past, and they're trying to do the same things. That they just they they're really, I mean, they're fitting the run really well. They're they're playing in the pass game. Their pattern match stuff is really good. You know, they've got guys that can play man, but they don't have to. You know, they will play zone. They match it up pretty good. Um, you can tell they're on the same page. They've got great personnel on the D line at linebacker and in the back end. You know, and offensively, you know, Coach Norvell has always been really good on offense, and he's got the pieces where he wants it. He's got a big outside receiver. That's a problem if you try to go one-on-one. Um, up front, they're playing really well this year. You know, they do they run a bunch of gap schemes and things like that that give you trouble. It's hard to pressure those things because you're kind of tracking down on these gap schemes. you got to really play you got to play sound football against them. They've got backs that, that do a great job, two really good backs, you know, three of them really that play. Um, and their quarterback's done a good job. He's made good decisions. He runs the ball well, but he he's a thrower first, you know, but he can run and get him out of trouble. He's a good athlete. So, um, you know, top to bottom, they're talented. That staff, I mean, they've, they've won. I mean, you know, they didn't get there by accident, you know, and they're in year three, and they've done a great job of consistently building each year as they've gone. And, they kind of got it where they want it right now, and they got their kids believing they're playing really well and they're playing. Coach Dez talking about the Florida State Seminoles, the Raging Cajuns' opponent on Saturday. Once again, the Cajuns, after beating Georgia Southern on Thursday, they improved to 5-5 five and five on the year, two games left. And with reports coming out from media outlets that the Independence Bowl is targeting the Louisiana Raging Cajuns if they get to six wins and – the eyeball representatives were there on Thursday night. Cajuns get to six wins. They're going to the eyeball. Now, they're going to have to do it on the road, though. 
this week in Tallahassee against a top 20 ranked Florida State team that has really turned a corner as you heard coach Des say in year three of coach Norville and then another road trip to Texas State to wrap up the regular season but what does it mean for his team that's had an up and down year to play a big time opponent a top 25 ranked opponent this late in the season yeah I mean I I think you know every game's important for us right now um you know like last year you know we had Liberty at the end of the year that was it was non-conference but it was important for us you know with where we were at the time right trying to finish the year you know ranked as high as you can and hope you can get into some of these New Year's six games well for us this year it's an opportunity to get to six wins which obviously in college football is a huge milestone that you got to get to to be able to get to the postseason so you know they're all important I think for our kids sometimes these games are, are a little bit more exciting you know just to get to go play in that environment to get to go play against a team like this um and it helps you know they're in the top 25 you know they're playing really good football right now so you know you know you're going to play a really good football team that's playing well um so I think it's just a little bit more excitement for the team sometimes um but the truth in it is that I mean they're all important now you know I mean in college football they all matter and for us where we're at right now they certainly all matter um trying to get to the postseason do I think they have a chance at Florida State? No, probably not. Your main goal going to Tallahassee this weekend is not to suffer a ton of injuries, get out of there fairly healthy, and have your focus be beating Texas State to get to six wins. It'd be great if they could. It'd be great if they could stun the world and take down the Florida State Seminoles. But you're really looking at being healthy, getting out of there, alive and giving yourself a chance to win game number six when you go to San Marcos, Texas a week from Saturday. That's going to do it for our number one here of RP3 and company. We'll talk more about the Florida State Seminoles coming up to kick off hour number two. Jesse Coger from Plant the Spear joins us. He covers Florida State. That's all coming up. You're listening to the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. on this chilly Wednesday morning here in southwest Louisiana. Great start to the day. Plenty of college football talk in our number one. We broke down the college football playoff rankings, kind of laid out some scenarios there for the Big Ten to get two teams in, the SEC to get two teams in. And what about USC? They feel like they're the real wild card in all of this. We focus so much on LSU, but USC – they went out when the when the Pac-12, eh, they're going to have an argument to get in. We talked about that. We also heard from LSU and the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Well, let's keep talking about those Cajuns because UL will be traveling to Tallahassee 
on Saturday to take on Florida State, which finds itself ranked in the top 20 now in the college football playoff rankings. Things have really turned a corner in year number three for Mike Norvell. And joining us now on RP3 and Company to give us more insight about the Florida State Seminoles and the job their head coach has done is Jesse Coger from Plant the Spear. Jesse, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? I'm good, my man. Good morning. And I'm like you. I'm just trying to stay warm in this winter weather that we've had. It's it's a brisk 41 degrees outside of Charlotte where I'm at. So uh, winter is, has definitely arrived. But I'm doing good, my man. I appreciate you having me back on. Appreciate you making the time. Last time we talked, there was plenty of question marks about this Florida State team. Of course, we talked leading up to the season opener against LSU there in the Caesar Superdome. Uh, how surprised are you about the progression this program has made in year number three? Well, you know, in a, in a, in a way not to sound like I was uh, Nostradamus or anything, but I did preseason, I predicted Florida State to end up around eight and four. And I think a lot of the success that when you look back at 2021, Florida State had probably – the worst receiving core in the ACC, and they had an offensive line that really didn't help that passing game at all. And one thing we know about Norvell and the staff is, if nothing else, they've been very effective in the transfer portal. And so when you saw them bring in a guy like Jared Verse, and, of course, Trey Benson, we didn't know what he was going to be like, you know, some of the offensive line transfers and things that they got, you knew that the potential was there. Uh, now, of course, they had a tough schedule this year, so maybe I thought it wouldn't it wouldn't get rolling kind of like it is. Uh, but it's not a huge surprise to me. I just think that the cupboard was kind of bare the last few years, and so now that they've added some pieces, you can see Mike Norvell is getting back to kind of the the play calling and the level of success that they had at Memphis during his time uh, during his time there. Now that they're able to run his system effectively. Sometimes it does take time for the guys to not only buy into the culture that you're wanting to have, but also understanding the nuances of a system because every coach, even if they come from the same coaching tree, it's going to be slightly different. There's always going to be an adjustment period. Let's talk about the man who runs the offense because the coach is known as an offensive-minded coach. Talk about the quarterback and his progression, and he sure does seem – seemingly has taken his game to another level this season. A hundred percent. And, you know, I think the thing you touched on that has been the biggest change at Florida State is the culture that has been established. You know, now you see a locker room who all pulls in the right direction, who, you know, everybody plays for each other, and they play hard. Even sometimes when you see them get down and you think that, you know, okay, this is where they folded in the past, they still fight hard. And a lot of the success has come from Jordan Travis, like you talked about, he's having a phenomenal year. It's actually kind of been surprising for me because I thought this would be a big year where he would use his legs a lot and, and be able to throw the ball better, but not quite, you know, being one of the top-ranked quarterbacks in Power Five. So it's been a, a wonderful sight to see him take over full control of the offense. And I think a lot of that has to do with better O-line play, uh, which speaks to what offensive coordinator Alex Atkins, who is also our offensive line coach, has been able to do. They're currently number one in the ACC in sack rate allowed, which has helped, obviously, you know, tremendously when you're able to, to not be running for your life to throw uh, the ball. Plus, you have added receivers like Johnny Wilson, who's six foot seven, 
uh, Pokey Wilson, who's coming to his own, Micah Pittman, a transfer from Oregon, who's been able to take over. But it's been really, it's been exciting to see. And you know, one thing about Jordan, he's had, he's been very injury prone in the past, and so this has been his first full season where he's went through spring, he's went through fall as the starter and able to be healthy, get all things on the same page. Last year he was splitting reps with McKenzie Milton. So seeing him take charge of the offense and do the things he do, it it is a little surprising, uh, but it has been a welcome sight. And I think that this is just him getting a, a full, healthy chance to run this offense with added weapons, of course quarterback is doing his job but we you mentioned it when we first brought you on that offensive line it's really made strides as well even maybe more so than the young man under center was that the big question mark for you heading into this season could the offensive line actually improve I I do think it was I think that was the number one question and in my preseason I predicted our losses Two of the losses I predicted were Clemson and NC State, and that was because I didn't think we'd be able to block them up front. But, you know, people also have to keep in mind one starting offensive tackle went down just prior to the LSU game. They also had a guy who was vying for a starting center guard position. He went down too. So they do even – they have had to get into their depth chart, but they've kind of got some continuity now. And Alex Atkins is, is an excellent offensive line coach. I see a head coaching role in his future. But, you know, when you look at what they've done leading the conference in Sacre Loud, they're on a five-game streak of rushing for 200 yards or more, and two of those were against top 15 rushes in Clemson and NC State. It really just speaks volumes to what they've been able to do with this offensive line and knowing – that they took a huge group last year, and so some of your best offensive linemen have never even haven't even seen the field, at least in a in a starting position. Uh, so it's exciting to know going forward for the first time since probably 2013, 2014, that you can rely on your offensive line and feel positive about where they're at. You mentioned weapons. Who's kind of stood out to you? Who has surprised you? emerged rather that you weren't expecting in this offense especially at the skill position well i think the the first name that you have to bring up is trey benson at running back and that's because coming off of an injury at oregon he only had about i think six or less than 10 carries at oregon so you know he had a a catastrophic knee injury norvell kind of took a lot of flack for taking him in the portal and, you know, think, oh, well, you got to run him back with a, a devastating knee injury. How is that going to work out? And he has turned out to be an absolute gem of a find at running back. Uh, he's, you know, he is just a machine at running back. It is insane how good he's been this year uh, for really his first full year in collegiate football. And then, of course, you have Johnny Wilson at, at receiver who at six foot seven. I mean, you just – I would throw it up to him 20 times a game if I had my choice. But the thing really is they've been running the ball so well that the receivers, you haven't really had a dominant standout receiver. I think that, you know, they've had one receiver pretty much in every game kind of step up and have a breakout game, which is nice. But the beautiful thing about this receiver is, like against Syracuse, they only threw the ball 16 times. They still ran for over 200 yards. But these guys block their tail off on the outside, and they're not mad about only throwing the ball 16 times, which has been nice. So on offense, you definitely go with Trey Benson. On defense, 
I would have to say it would be uh, Jared Verse, a transfer from Albany, who was a very sought-after transfer by a lot of Power 5 programs. You didn't know how he was going to translate to the Power 5 level. He had big expectations and big shoes to fill with Jermaine Johnson. And so far, he has been just, you know, he's already projected to be a first or second round NFL draft pick. So it's been a very welcome uh, edge rusher to see on this defense. We're talking with Jesse Coger. He's the plant, the spear editor, covers the Florida State Seminoles. They welcome in the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, 11 a.m. kick central, noon kick eastern time. That'll be on Saturday. Let's talk about what the expectations are now moving forward because they're ranked in the top 25 in the college football playoff rankings. They're not going to be able to compete for a conference championship. That'll be Clemson, North Carolina battling it out, and the winner will likely go to the Orange Bowl. But what's the expectations the rest of the way? I know the Florida game looms, and that's how they're going to wrap up the regular season. Where are you projecting the Seminoles ending up for the postseason? So I think first off, it's just a it's a breath of fresh air to know you you've secured a bowl. <laughs> you know we haven't been since 2019, so it's nice to be back there. You know this this season kind of breaks off into three segments. You had the first the hot start with five and zero, got them a little attention. You know LSU was probably the only real quality team. You know Louisville's come on a little bit late uh, as far as wins go. Then they dropped three games in a row. And, of course, it was at the time, you know, Wake Forest and NC State, I don't believe, are ranked anymore. But it was three ranked losses by 18 combined points. So you're kind of like, okay, well, we're at that point where you're able to beat the teams you're supposed to, but now you have to be able to beat the better teams that you face. And third segment, these last five games. And since coming off the bye week after the Clemson loss, Florida State has outgained uh, – Georgia Tech, Miami, and Syracuse by a combined total of 124 to 22 points and outgamed them by almost 1,000 yards. So they seem healthy now. They seem to be playing their best football. You get Louisiana this Saturday at home, which, you know, could be a tricky game because the, the Sun Belt, you can never take your eye off a Sun Belt team. You know, you know that. And so you also have a Friday kick with Florida next week. Is a short week. It's a rivalry game. You don't know if there's going to be any look ahead. But I think if you can get the Florida win, finish the season five and zero, you decent bowl game. I, you know, you probably won't make the Orange Bowl unless you get a lot of help. Uh, but just making a bowl game, getting to ten wins would be huge for this team. And then it's going to build into a really big off season for Florida State to see if they have fully turned that corner, if they can carry this over to next year, because. They could stand to lose a lot this offseason, but they could also back. And if they're able to do that, you know, then like we have talked about off air, I think that Florida State LSU matchup could be a top 10 matchup to start the season next year. So I think the expectations have started to follow Florida State now. There are expectations to win, uh, to win, to be back on the bowl games, to be back in the top 25, you know, but I still think they're a few years away from, you know, maybe playoff contention and things like that. And just, uh, you and I have talked about this. I just, don't get me wrong. The neutral site games are cool. I, I get it. But how much better would it have been to have Florida State play in Death Valley this year and have LSU play inside Doak Walker? You know, like, like I I think it's a missed opportunity. I get why you're doing it because you, you, it's the neutral site thing and next year we'll be in Orlando. But, man, how electric would campus would have been next season oh, if LSU comes to town. Like, just think about that. I I wholeheartedly echo what you're saying. I think myself, as well as a majority of the fan base, 
do feel like this was a letdown. And at least one thing is uh, this game was scheduled under our old athletic director, and the new athletic director has said that we're going to aim for more on-campus games. We do have a home-and-home with Alabama coming up, a home-and-home with Georgia coming up. And so I also feel this is a missed opportunity. You know, don't get me wrong, I had a great time in uh, New Orleans. The Superdome was really cool. That was my first time ever going. You know, air conditioning at a football game in the South is a godsend. (laughs) Um, it It was louder than I imagined it would be. And so it was really cool. But, you know, Death Valley at nighttime has been on my bucket list of of venues to see, so I feel like that would have been amazing. And then just get in Tallahassee would have been awesome. Orlando, I get it. It's, you know, like you said, it's the neutral site thing. It's probably a little better for payouts and whatnot, but it's just not anywhere near the atmosphere that Tallahassee would have been. So it was a missed opportunity, and hopefully it's not the last two times these teams face each other. And hopefully they can do it in a home-and-home next time because I'm telling you, I'm itching to get to Baton Rouge and see a game on a Saturday night there in Death Valley. Jesse, appreciate your time. As always, tell the people how they can follow you on social media and where they can go uh, to read all your great work, especially those Cajun fans that want to know even more about Saturday's matchup. Uh, Yes, sir. So you can find our – we do a pregame preview on plantthespear.com. That'll be, I'm working on getting that up today. Uh, we also have the Plant the Spear podcast in which I break down the matchups every single week. I analyze well over 60 data points on each and every game uh, to try and give a very in-depth, uh, full analytical preview. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, Plant the Spear. We have all kinds of content there, uh, breakdowns, game threads, everything like that. So I think you guys enjoy it. I had a few people actually reach out to me after they heard me on, on your show from the LSU game and uh, talking about how much they enjoyed it and, and, and followed me uh, from that show. So I do appreciate you having me on, and I do look forward to the game. And hopefully we can do this again next year with you know hopefully previewing a top 10, top 15 matchup in Orlando. Absolutely, brother. Keep up the great work, and we'll talk to you soon. Yes, sir. Have a good one. Hey. Are you looking for great stocking stuffers for this holiday season? Then you got to look no further than the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. As a member of our rewards club, you're going to have the opportunity to score excellent prizes like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse. You can have a good time down there at Cypress Bayou, let me tell you. Or you could get yourself a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen, but you can only score these great stocking stuffers by becoming a member of the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's simple. So go sign up today and get yourself some stocking stuffers. They don't need to know that you want them for free. We won't tell. We won't tell. See? We won't tell. We just want to hook you up with them. Got to take a timeout. Phone lines are open. If you want to give us a holler, Game Hotline 337 706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. We'll update that foodie poll question of the week next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is known for being a well-tempered and thoughtful sports journalist. The incompetence, the absolute abundance of arrogance from Rob Manford makes me want to punch him in his throat. Okay, well, we all have our bad days. I'm not kidding. If he was right here in the studio, I would walk up to him and throw him a punch. Well... 
Let's all hope he took his meds today. Back to hopefully a calm and collected RP3 on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest, Southwest Louisiana's, Louisiana's sports, sports station. station. Lafayette Marble and Granite offers the largest selection of granite, quartz, and marble here in Acadiana. And look, they appreciate the opportunity to earn your business. As you've heard me tell you many times before, Chris and his team over at LMG, they provide more than show-stopping marble countertops for your kitchens, bathrooms, and man caves. LMG also now has an extensive selection of custom shower builds with their grout-free shower line. That's right. No muss, no fuss, and no odor. Make sure to visit their website, lmgelite.com. That's lmgelite.com to learn more about all the sensational services and the tremendous products they have to offer. Live inventory is updated every single Wednesday. Guess what? That's today. That's right. Visit lmgelite.com or stop by their soon-to-be-renovated showroom located on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford. Lafayette Marble and Granite, they're looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it, they will. Whew. Good stuff. Good stuff so far today. Don't forget to vote on our foodie poll question of the week, and it's a good one. It's all about the Hot Pockets. What's the best Hot Pocket? Right now, 52% of you say the original, the pepperoni pizza. 21% say ham and cheese, 15% say other, 12% says Philly steak and cheese. Darren on Twitter says ham and cheese, bacon, egg, and cheese runner-up. Nothing like the ones they had in school back in the days, though. Oh, yeah. Now you're speaking my language. Ralph says Saints quarterbacks have three hours worth of hot pockets each week with defensive linemen filling. Occasionally, they eat the blitz flavor. Shout out to Ralph for that. Doug on Twitter says, ham and cheese all day long, Ray. That, that's my go-to. That's my favorite. Hoodat Forever says, they don't make them anymore, but these were amazing. And I do remember he shared a picture of the side shots, which were like mini, like Hot Pockets and like little mini yeast rolls. They were delicious. They were delicious. Chris Gosson says, ham and cheese is the best, but don't count out the breakfast ones. Absolutely. Brandon Foreman says, can't beat the original. It's pepperoni and Hot Pockets are literally extra large pizza rolls. And that's what makes them amazing. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. What is the best Hot Pocket? Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter and we'll make sure to share them throughout today's show. But right now it's time for us to head out to the hotline. Welcome on Doug to the show. Doug, good morning to you, brother. I hope you're staying warm on this chilly Wednesday morning, my friend. I'm trying to, Ray. I'm trying to, buddy. Ray, I want to talk uh, a little college football playoff uh, thing that you started this morning. Go ahead, bud. You mentioning that uh, two Big Ten teams could make it in. And and I I say there's no way. There's no way, Ray. If Michigan lose, they're out. They're out, Ray, because of their strength of schedule. Even Ohio State be hanging on by their fingernails. If they lose, if LSU beats Georgia, Georgia would probably bump back to the third spot. Uh, Ohio State, well, 
maybe number two, then Ohio State move up to number one. But there's no way you're going to get two Big Ten teams and Ray. Why? But Doug, Clemson? but Doug. What if Clemson wins their conference, Ray? But, but Doug, 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 time out, time out. I, I, look, I, I know we're down south. We devalue the Big Ten all day long. And, 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 and Ohio State, the first year of the college football playoff, reminded everyone why you shouldn't do that, right? So uh, it, uh, an undefeated Michigan team going into their finale against Ohio State, and if they lose a tough game, you're saying they're not going to get in over a Tennessee team that did not win their conference either and was absolutely curb-stomped no, no, no. by Georgia? I, I, I never even mentioned Tennessee, Ray. Well, they're at five. But I'm telling you, you got to watch out for Clemson. No, no. The committee is not. If Clemson wins their conference, they're not going to leave Clemson out. Yeah, they are because you saw and and no. and, and 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 the team that you got to look out for is USC. They do not like Clemson. They do not like the ACC. Look at the rankings. They just don't. They when they lost, they plummeted. Alabama lost. They didn't. Right. So that tells you everything that you need to know about how the committee feels about this year's Clemson team. This is not three or four years ago. This year's Clemson team, they're not high on. They're just not. Yeah, but Ray, they favor conference champions and strength of schedule. They the, would, only, the only team that Michigan has beaten this, this year that's ranked, really, is Penn State. That's the only one. Now, if they beat Ohio State in their conference, in their, their matchup next weekend, they give them two. And, yeah, they, they could possibly stay in. But that would be the only way, Ray. I, I just I, I don't. There's no uh, scenario, Doug, where Clemson's taking a spot over Michigan. There's just no scenario. If if mm. if, if, if you want to argue one of the other ones, that's fine. But there's no way. There's just no way over Clemson. They do not value this year's Clemson team. They do not value the ACC. If USC runs the table and only has one yeah. loss, they're taking USC. I can yeah. guarantee you that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I agree with you there, Ray, but I, I just don't see it. If Michigan loses, I, I, I don't see it. They're out, Ray. They're out. Okay, so okay, so Georgia wins. But break down the scenario for me. If Georgia beats LSU, obviously they're in. I think Georgia's in no matter what happens in Atlanta. So That's true. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. Th- they're going to take a spot. Let's say TCU yep. wins out. They take a spot. Okay? So if, you, you're, if you're telling me not Tennessee – then who's going to be the the uh, other team in the in, in the playoff? Clemson, Ray. I'm telling you, oh. they're going to take the conference champion. I'm telling you, brother. But Doug, they Tell don't value the conference champion. But Doug, they don't value that conference. They just don't. They, so many why, things why would have to happen. Big Ten. What has the Big Ten has been doing this year? They would they value beating up on nobody. Oh well, but Doug. We can have an argument all day long. The SEC schedules cupcake games too. The Big Ten just does it with well, the MAC. I mean, Alabama's well, playing Austin P. LSU's playing UAB. Come on now, let's let let, let UAB. Hey, they better not go to sleep on UAB. I agree. UAB's I agree with you on that. Good running back. They better watch him. I I agree with that. I agree with that. But there's other teams. Clemson would have to win out, and they would need TCU to lose. They would need USC to lose. They would need somehow the committee Michigan to say they don't like lose. Tennessee. That is too much. They would need Michigan to lose. <laughs> they, 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 they would need a whole lot for them to even remotely get around there, brother. Look, this isn't I, I three years I don't ago. I believe so, Ray. I really don't. And look, I, I've, already, I've already figured it out. I, I think that uh, 
the Cajuns are going to meet up with uh, Western Kentucky. In the eyeball? In the New Orleans Bowl. Ooh, okay. And the Tigers, go, the Tigers are going to play Kansas State again in the Sugar Bowl. Would you like that? Would you like that matchup, though? I would, right? I would. I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind that at all. We want some payback. Oh, I like that. I like that. Man wants some, some payback. He wants that yes, payback. Sir. All right, I got you, oh, brother. Yeah. I got you. Well, but Thanks enjoy your morning, call, brother. Buddy. Anytime, brother. Anytime. Look, I get where Doug is coming from, but where Clemson sits right now, they're behind a two-loss Alabama team. Like, the rankings tell you everything that they, you need to know. Even if Clemson wins out and then they would play North Carolina in the ACC title game and North Carolina is ranked 13th, there's no scenario for Clemson to get in. There just isn't. It, they would need the loser of Ohio State and Michigan to be crushed by like 30 points. That's one. Then they would need TCU to lose. Then they would need LSU to lose to Georgia in the title game in the SEC title game. Then they would need USC to lose. And then they would need to somehow convince the committee not to take a one-loss Tennessee team over them. And we know how much they love Alabama, and Alabama's ranked ahead of Clemson right now. There's a lot that would have to happen for the committee to be forced, and I say forced, to put Clemson in. The shine's off Clemson with the committee. This isn't three years ago. This is where Doug and I differ. The shine's off of Clemson. It just is. There's something about what they're doing there that the committee does not value them. You saw how much they plummeted after a loss. We got to take a timeout. Good discussion, though. I love it. Doug was fired up. My man was ready to go on this chilly Wednesday morning. I love it. We got to take a timeout, though. When we return, the Mad Dog, Mr. Movie Star. Ron Higgins joins us. That's coming up next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. What a great Tiger. Half the week is in the books, which means it's time to talk Bayou Bengals with Tiger Details columnist, the mad dog himself, Ron Higgins. Here is Hold That Tiger on RP3 and Company. Movie star extraordinaire, Mr. Ron Higgins joins us. What's up, brother? Clean the air, man. Everything's cool. Everything is okay here. <laughs> Just in the background for hit TV shows these days. I mean, that's your life, bud. That's your life right now. Yeah, it was kind of interesting they, they used that that shot. I mean, they, they filmed so many different shots. In one scene, it's still like the luck of the draw. They they picked that one with me. So, yeah, it was it was kind of there. He is the large, casual man with a, a cup of coffee in his hand, walking across the background. How I can, I look? I can do casual. I can do casual. <laughs> you can do casual. Are you going to be able to somehow incorporate a Savannah banana hat into one of these scenes that you're filming? Well, I, I got to figure that one out. The thing is, you know, they they they, they don't like bright colors generally correct uh, because it can be distracting yeah but the first shoot i ever did national treasure which comes out in december the series starts in december uh i wore a yellow hat the first two days and 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 the director called me yellow cap yellow cap come over here 
when, so, when are you getting know. your SAG card, bud? Your Screen Actors Guild card? Because you got to have know, a speaking buddy. line. It's a lot of money for a sports writer. You know, I mean, you got to pay like 3000 bucks. You know? <laughs> it is too much. Before we dive into LSU, I got to ask you about our poll question of the day, bud, because this was inspired by my daughter, who, Good. who um, is not a fan of pepperoni. Like, not on the pizza, not on anything. So, we bought some Hot Pockets the other day. You know, standard in the house, an easy, quick little meal or snack. And uh, her face, when I said, hey, we don't have ham and cheese because that's her favorite. And I said, I got pepperoni pizza, Hot Pocket, or I got steak and cheddar. And she goes, can I have ramen instead? <laughs> like, she did not want to touch them at all. Now, she ended up having the steak and cheddar. And she's like, oh, Daddy, this is good. This is good. But she was not having the pepperoni pizza, Hot Pocket. What's the go-to hot pocket for the Mad Dog? God, I don't even eat hot pockets. Uh, if I did, it'd probably be what she had steak and steak and cheese. I, I, that would probably be it. Yeah, if I did. I mean, look, look, you're, you're you're big time now. You're a big Hollywood guy now. You don't have time for simpleton food anymore. No, I I, I, have, I have everything catered to me. In fact, I have, I have a chef right now making me breakfast. So. A craft service truck is in your living room. Uh, uh, look, just mushrooms. <laughs> Uh, and uh, some sausage in the, you know, omelet. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. All right, okay. Thanks. Uh, all right, bud. It wasn't pretty up in Fayetteville, uh, whether it was the cold temperatures or the early kick or the Alabama hangover, whatever it was. Jane Daniels looked pedestrian. The offense looked pedestrian with the exception of Josh Williams. Yet they found a way to win the ball game. Harold Perkins Jr. is an absolute monster. What's your big takeaway from what you saw from the Tigers up in Fayetteville? Uh, my takeaway is that they played hard, but they weren't prepared for something that Arkansas did, which is it's good when you can lose, win a game like that and see some stuff you haven't seen before. Uh, and that's what happened with the LSU's offense. Arkansas decided that they were just going to – their whole defensive scheme was – we're going to blitz, and we need to get Jaden Daniels on the ground. Uh, and we don't care about – I mean, Sam Pittman talked about it after the game. We don't care about gaps or being gaps, Sam. We just want the blitz and get him on the ground. And see, I mean, it, was a, it was a smart – really, honestly, a, a smart defensive scheme because, I mean, Jaden Daniels has been the head of the snake for three last three weeks for LSU. I mean, before our Arkansas game, last three games. I mean, just, you know, phenomenal, like 14 touchdowns. Uh, seven passive and rush and it just that's the guy if you cut him off the LSU has problems and that's what happened they cut him off the LSU didn't manage to you know uh cash in uh, a turnover for a touchdown and and, and uh got some really good running from Josh Williams. I gotta tell you my favorite player on this team might be Josh Williams the running back uh he gets every tough yard for you uh a guy who came to LSU as a walk-on a guy who was always like the third or fourth guy in a game. Uh, and, but actually, he was a leading returning rusher from last year's team this year. And I, I just love the guy. I, I think he just he gets tough yardage. He makes big blocks. He made the big block on Daniel's touchdown running overtime. Uh, and Josh Williams, to me, was kind of unsung hero of that game. He, offensively, he, uh, he got tough yardage. Uh, he always does. Uh, but they, they, they were able to learn some lessons offensively that, I mean, 
what what happens when people just all of a sudden try to shut down Jaden Daniels? What can we do? And and Kelly, I asked Kelly about it this week at this press conference, and 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 Brian immediately, you know, we weren't ready for that, and that that won't ever happen again. We'll be ready for that. First time they've seen that that the defense has totally decided we're stopping Jaden Daniels, and if we do that, we should have a pretty good chance of winning. Uh, and Arkansas did until, uh, you know, Harold Perkins just went all Bobby Boucher on Arkansas. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure he was sitting on the sideline saying, I, 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 "I'm, I'm going to open up a can of whoop ass." Uh, <laughs> He was he was unreal. I mean, it was watching like Bobby Boucher from, from the Water Boy. Uh, you know, when's the last it, time you saw a freshman? He, he, just, he just ran around and wrecked the quarterback every freaking time. Two plays in a row, he wrecked him. Wrecked him anytime he got outside. Uh, this guy is, is is really is comparable to Devin White or, or, or Honey Badger uh, as far as guys who can just make plays and disrupt the offenses. And and and, and LSU. LSU's scheme allows him to do that. I mean, you know, Kelly gave a lot, of, a lot of credit to the defensive line for, you know, for being able to flush quarterbacks from the pocket so uh, Perkins can do his thing. I mean, it's, it's been fun to watch. I mean, he, he, if you go back and watch his high school tape, he was a phenomenal high school running back. It's unreal. If they put him at running back right now, he'd be their best running back. Easy. That's how good he. That's about how good an athlete he is. You're, Man, a four four nine in high school, and he watches tape, high school tape, him as a running back. It's just silly. I mean, it really is. Best example of what's the comp? Is it the Honey Badger? Is it Patrick Peterson or Devin White of guys that were able to come in immediately as as freshmen and make an impact? I'd say I'd say Devin White. I mean, I mean. They took Honey Badger, but I mean Honey Badger, yeah. Honey Badger just came in and started knocking balls loose. Uh, consistency, I'd say Devin White. Playmaking, I'd say Honey Badger. It's kind of a combination of both, yeah. Uh, I, I'd, I'd say both. But it's just, uh, man, every time I needed a play that day, he, he made one. Every time. Uh and that was, I mean, basically, he won the he won the game for him. There was no doubt about that. You know, there's no doubt who's going to get the game ball after that game. I mean, he t- he took it enough from Arkansas. He should keep it. Wingo has really surprised me because he was kind of thrust into more playing time, probably more than they wanted to, with him across the defensive line due to some guys getting banged up early on. What do you make of how he's progressed as one of the key cogs in that front seven? I mean, from I mean, from you know, day one having to replace Mason Smith in the first quarter of the first game, uh, he's just really, really good technique-wise. This this he's an excellent technician, uh, and it helps him against you know bigger, stronger people. Uh, and he he's been the star of that line in a lot of ways, you know, for most of the year. Uh, but also, Jack Monroe's played well. I mean, the the ends have played well. I mean. Uh, you know, they, they, I mean, the, the line has really become really, really good. And the, and the scheme they have that, that allows Harold Perkins to spy and just sit back there and, and watch the quarterback and play panics. Uh, and then, the, you know, it's like watching, it's like watching a, a shark waiting for somebody to jump in the water. I mean, 
as soon as that guy breaks and starts running, he he is on a straight line path to just just eat him up. Uh, I mean, it's it's it, I can't remember last time I enjoyed watching a defensive player play like that. Maybe Honey Badger, that you just knew the guy was going to make a play. Uh, if if he got if he was left unblocked, he's going to make a play. Uh, and, and the scheme they have for him allows him to do that. Talking to Ron Higgins, the Mad Dog from Tiger Details. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Do you sign off on the nickname LSU football is trying to give Harold Perkins, which is, I believe, the Tasmanian Devil? Do you do you sign off on this? No. That's awful. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I saw from the LSU football account. Apparently, that's what they're trying to do, Mad Dog. The Tasmanian Devil. I bet you he didn't know, he, he didn't even know who Michael Jordan was. You think he knows who the Tasmanian Devil is? Yeah, pretty, you think he ever watched cartoons? I'm pretty sure he didn't grow up on Looney Tunes, no. Uh, I'm pretty sure he didn't, you know, really. <laughs> All right, if let me ask you. Bobby, if you give Bobby Boucher, he probably knows that. He probably knows that. Prob- probably knows that. All right, let me ask you this. Two week, Two games to go before they go to Atlanta. That's already clinched. Is the biggest challenge for this team now to essentially stay focused and not take their foot off the gas? I don't think UAB is a real threat, but I do believe A&M is. Even though they're a dumpster fire, Texas A&M and Jimbo, they're so petty. This is the same program that made championship rings for a seven-overtime victory over LSU. They would love nothing more than to, to... as one of their players said, pee in their cereal. So is the biggest challenge for LSU these final two weeks just to remain focused and keep their foot on the gas? I'd say so. I mean, honestly, uh, you kind of hope A&M just keeps talking. Oh, uh, yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, I, 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 the biggest challenge is staying focused. Uh, even with UAB, you need to stay focused. They got a, a, uh, the nation's leading rusher. Uh, and uh, but maybe not enough to be around them to beat LSU. Uh, but yeah, they need to stay focused on this, and 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 particularly A and M. I'm I'm with you on that one, uh, particularly A and M, because uh, that that's, that could be uh, A and M's only dagger this year they throw. They would feel good about it. Uh, but it, it would be nice if LSU won that game and Harold Parker Jr. had like about 18 tackles and 14 for a loss because. You know, he committed to A&M on, uh, on you know, at the, at the, like the All-Star game in January. And you know, a month and a half later, he signs with LSU. So that still stings for A&M. So why not, why not go in a college station near, you know, near Harold's hometown of Houston and go in there and put up 14 tackles for loss on them? Be good. Mad Dog, enjoy your week. Enjoy the game on Saturday night, bud. Are you making the trip to College Station? Yes or no? Uh, probably not. I mean, I, I'm gonna have to, I'm, uh, I got some movie stuff next week. I love uh, that. I love that. Early in the week. And plus, you know, this weekend is big for me because I have to be Hannah's tour guide in Tiger Stadium. So that's right. Our, our girl is making her uh, first trip to uh, cover an LSU football game. So thank you for making sure to kind of mentor her and show her the ropes, Mad Dog. It's greatly appreciated. And I'm also her unofficial cruise director for her honeymoon. So I've, I've kind of taken two roles on here. So I feel good about that. Award-winning columnist, beat reporter, movie star, cruise ship aficionado, 
mentor to young people. Boom. Man does it all. Man does it all. I'm a giver. (laughs) Enjoy your week, brother. I'll talk to you next Wednesday. I want some some butter on that toast, okay? Get it right. Thanks. I appreciate it. (laughs) That's Ron Higgins, our friend from Tiger Details, joining us. We got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up hour number two. That's all next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. Oh, you know what? You love smart speakers. You probably already have one. But did you know? Or if you don't have one, you probably got it on your Christmas list, don't you? Probably hoping Santa brings you one. Guess what? If you already have one or if Santa's going to bring you one, check it out. Because your Alexa or your Google Home smart speaker helps out around the house, right? It allows you to control your lights, your thermostats, and so much more. But did you know they can also play the game? That's right. Your favorite sports talk station, the number one sports talk station in Southwest Louisiana. Just ask your Alexa or Google Home to play the game, Southwest Louisiana. It's that easy. The game, Southwest Louisiana. That's all you got to do. So do the smart thing and have the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles with you at your office, at your home, and everywhere you go. Poll question of the day on a Wednesday. You know what it is. It's our foodie poll question of the week. Roundtable discussion coming up next hour between yours truly, Steve Wiley, Moses Campos, and Hannah Five Names. We asked you, what is the best hot pocket? Right now, 52% of the vote says pepperoni pizza. 23% say ham and cheese. 13% says Philly steak and cheese. 12% says other. Tons of comments already. You guys are fired up about this. No comments yet about how you have to be cautious with the Hot Pocket, because if not, it will burn the roof of your mouth. You got to cut it in half. You got to poke holes in it or do something, because uh, the Hot Pocket can get dangerous. It can. Keep those votes coming on our foodie poll question of the week. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll make sure to share them throughout the rest of today's show. Coming up. Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, will recap the big win last Thursday. Look ahead to the Florida State game. That's coming up next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Eight oh three on this slightly chilly Wednesday morning here in Southwest Louisiana. It's been a good show so far. It's about to get better. Half an hour from right now, Andrew Juge from the Saints Happy Hour podcast will join us to talk about the Saints, the state of the black and gold. Mm, it's not very good. Let's just let's, can we go ahead and just come to the terms that the Saints are in fact a bad football team. I think it's time. I think it's time. Let's stop moving the goalpost around to try to 
rationalize that this team actually has potential to be good when they, in fact, are not. A team that is good, that has a chance to actually do something, is the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. They won on Thursday in convincing fashion. They take down the number one ranked offense, number one ranked passing offense as well in the Sunbelt Conference, holds them to only 17 points. Offense ran the ball the best it has all year. Defense lights out. And, of course, Kenny Almadaris, man, got a pull for a kid like that. Ties a program record with five field goals made in a single game. To break it down for us and to look ahead to the final two weeks of the season is our friend, the longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, Jay Walker, joins us now. Jay, good morning to you, bud. How are you, my friend? I'm I'm doing well. I think uh, given the uh, the kicker's uh, performance, I, I I think somebody's going to write a song. Oh, nice. Rock me, rock me, Almondaris. <laughs> uh, you been, How long have you had that one in your back pocket? You're just waiting for me to set it up. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Pretty <laughs> much. Uh-huh. Uh, all right. Let's go back to Thursday because when this team plays to their potential, when they're healthy and they play to their potential, we see what happened on Thursday. We saw it against Marshall as well, didn't we? And what was the big difference in Thursday's game compared to what you had seen a couple weeks prior, Jay? Well, you know, I I think you already alluded to one of the things, and that's the fact that they had success running the football. Um, You know, they – man, you know, how many times have we said this, that – when you throw the football because you want to, not because you have to, you usually have more success. And, um, you know, so that opens up so much when you're able, able to run the football. I was, I've been impressed with the Cajun defense all year, Ray. Uh, and I was impressed once again with the, with the performance there. But also, you know, we, we joked about Kenny just now. Five field goals, that's 15 points. There you go. Okay, you win. You win the game thirty-six to seventeen. Well, it's twenty-one to seventeen if the kid doesn't go out and kick five field goals. And I, I really think it was Kenny who never allowed Georgia Southern to really get back in the game uh, because you know they cut it to two scores, and then Kenny would kick a field goal, uh, and and so they were always behind the eight ball because. In the second half, the Cajuns came away with points more often than not, thanks to Kenny's kicking. So I, I think that that was a big part of that, was he never let Georgia Southern get back in the game. You're right, because every opportunity they had to put points on the board, they took advantage of it and kept Georgia Southern at arm's length. And that was huge in this game. I also love it, and you and I have talked about it before, and, I, and I've actually spoke with Des about it. It makes so much of a difference when the head coach has his players back and what I mean by that Jay is that he could easily made a change he could have done anything instead he puts his guy that has missed some kicks including missing a few against Troy puts him back out there and says you got this right when the coach has confidence in the player that makes all the difference in the world and I think you saw that again on Thursday night yeah I, I, I would totally agree with that Jax Harrington came back for the offensive line as well. When they're healthy, this offense is on at a different level. It just is. And uh, you saw that play a role Thursday night as well. And I think if this offensive line would have been healthy 
for most of the season because it hasn't been. But if it would have been, I think this team probably would have won a couple more games that it ends up that it ended up losing. That's how important the guys up front have been for the Cajuns this year. Yeah, and you know, you know, Harrington had missed a couple of games, and there was a lot of question whether Carlos Rubio was going to play yep. in the game uh, against Georgia Southern. Um, as it turned out, he was able to give them more snaps, I think, than they expected. And I thought they did a nice job as far as when they when they used those two guys and, and when they held them out. And I'll say this: we're we're starting to see the development of George Jackson. I think. Yep. Um, I, I've been impressed with the way. He's been coming in and playing the last couple of games. You know, sometimes, you know, not sometimes, you know, football is about developing young players and help turning them into good players. And I think the development is working with George Jackson. I, you know, we've been saying all year long that, you know, you got these five guys and then you got these three guys. I think now you got these six guys and, you know, they need to make it seven guys and then eight guys. But, George Jackson stepping stepping up. The running game just was absolutely phenomenal. That's another great way of keeping a team at bay is when you don't give them possessions because you can successfully run the football. It also helps out a quarterback. That's always the quarterback's best friend is a power running game. What do you make of what we saw from the running game and the offensive line? And do you think if they can stay healthy – they can utilize this for their final two regular season games and get to be bowl eligible and then utilize that power run game in a bowl game. Well, okay, we, I think we need to be um, realistic here and say that some of the reason why they were so successful is because Georgia Southern is not very good on defense. That's okay? fair. They, they, That's fair. They, yeah. they're just, they, they just aren't, okay? Uh, but you still have to take advantage of that. Uh, and, and the Cajuns did. And I thought all of the backs uh, ran well. Um, you know, I, I love it when Chris Smith has success because I really love that kid. Um, but, but, yeah, they, they, had, they had some nice success. And, you know, the thing that we haven't talked about, Ray, is, you know, Kenny kicked five field goals, all right? But if you want to talk about where this game was won, it was how much better the Cajun special teams were than Georgia Southern mm -hmm. because you had 90 yards in punt returns. You had a good, uh, a, a really good kickoff return that gave them great field position. You got the five field goals. Uh, when Reese was called upon, he did his job. They didn't allow anything in the return game for Georgia Southern. That phase of the game was total and complete domination. It was vintage Cajuns, power run game, lights out defense, special special teams. And that's been a winning formula for them for, for years. And we, we've seen it sporadically through this season, but I, you saw one of their best games on Thursday. All right, let's move ahead, Jay, because they have two games left to get to six. And we know if they get to six, they're going to a bowl game. Eyeball looks like it's gonna. It wants the Cajuns if they get to six wins. That looks like to be a done deal to me. They were at the game on Thursday night. Other multiple multiple media outlets have talked about it as well. That the Sun Belt's going to be producing far more bowl teams than they have bowl tie-ins for, and because of other conferences not being able to produce, the Sun Belt will pick up the slack. Two games left both on the road, Florida State, an immense challenge, obviously, 
this Saturday in Tallahassee and then San Marcos the following week. What's the goal for this week? Let's start there because obviously you want to win the game. I get that. But also you want to be healthy enough to be able to give yourself a chance to win game number six the following week as well. You, you don't want to come out in body bags, so to speak, uh, when you go to Tallahassee. Well, you know, I think, I think this perception that because you're playing a Power 5 team that the, uh, the chances of injury go up, I think that's a total fallacy. And I think it's been proven time and time and time again. Injury doesn't care if you're Power 5 or G5. It, it, it can happen in practice, for crying out loud. Um, Jay, I'm not so saying that. Time, I, out, time, I, time out. Time out. Time out. That's not what I'm saying. You took it the wrong way. Let, let, let me redo it. If 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 the game is going to be out of question, my, my thing is you want to get out of the Florida State game. It doesn't matter if it's Florida State. It could be Yellowstone State. It doesn't matter. You want to get out of that game, especially if it's a game that you can't win. You want to be healthy because the game, at the end of the season, you have to win. That's my point. Okay. I um, I, I think, first of all, you, you, you said it. I mean, they're going over there to win the football game. All right? Now, they're, they're, they're heavy underdogs, but um, the goal for this team this week is to get win number six. Correct. Now, if you can't get that, then, you know, are you going to go ahead? Let's, let's suppose Florida State is – even better than advertised in the game at some point in time gets out of hand. Well, you know, do you go ahead and um, give some uh, some guys that, that maybe can play without harming their red shirt? Do you maybe give them an opportunity and, and, and rest some of your frontline guys? Yeah, maybe so. Um, but that's not going to happen unless the game gets out of hand. They're going over there to win the football game. And, uh, you know, boy – just did anybody see this coming as far as Florida State is concerned? You figured they were going to be better, but they have taken a huge step this year and they've become relevant again. Correct. Um, and I'm not sure, I'm not sure every the pundits thought that was going to happen this year. This is a lot better team than they were a year ago. Well, the head coach, a lot of people said he was going to be on the hot seat entering the year because it was year three and they hadn't made any progression, but you definitely see a vastly improved Florida State team. Uh, I want to ask you this about the Sun Belt Conference because you could have how things shake out, and there's a lot of what-if scenarios here. You could have 10 teams be bowl eligible out of the Sun Belt. 10. I know the conference got better with the realignment and the adding of the teams, but this conference seems to be absolutely from top to bottom one of the most competitive conferences in the country. What says you? Yeah, I, I agree that it is a very, very competitive league. Um, and because it's competitive, how do we look at it? Okay, do we look at it as, man, this league has gotten so good that on any given Saturday, or is this league kind of mediocre? Um, I, I honestly, and I'm, I'm going to be frank here, I think this is a good league, and I think we have good teams in this league, but I don't think we have a great team in this league. You know, I, I think That's the fair. last uh, couple of years, you had the Cajuns last year, you had the Cajuns and Coastal Carolina before that, you had App State before that. 
those were really good football teams. And I don't know that we have a really good football team in this league. With all due respect to Coastal and their record, um, I haven't seen them go out and just strangle people. You know, they they kind of been getting by every week. And yeah. and now they're, they're, they're not going to have their quarterback maybe for the rest of the season. So I don't see that there's a great team in this league this year. I, I think I think you got some good football teams in this league. I also think you have some up and coming teams in this league. But what you don't have is somebody who stands up on the mountain and says, "I'm the king, come get me." I don't think we have that this year. Not this year. No, I, I agree with you. But I think the quality of depth is absolutely phenomenal. I'll get you out of here with this, bud. I know hoop season has just begun. And you haven't been able to spend as much time with the basketball uh, teams like you normally do because you still have your responsibilities for football. But what's your early impression of what Bob Marlin has with his team? There's some talent there. Uh, I think that they are considerably better at the point guard position. I am very impressed with the progress that Michael Thomas has made. Um, You know, he's been coming off the bench, but he's been coming off the bench and playing really well. I think Seamus Folks is, is as advertised. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I think that this team has got some skills. But let me tell you what I, what I like about what I saw over the weekend. If you look at, at the schedules traditionally, what do you have? You have three non-D1s. You have you know, teams from the Southland Conference. And then you have teams from Power Fives. The Cajuns haven't had a lot of years where they've played a lot of teams like the Cajuns. And so they did that twice over the weekend with Harvard and with East Tennessee. I think that those two games are going to help this team down the road. I think that those two uh, games are going to help them Thursday against Louisiana Tech and then the following week against SMU, although they're going to be underdogs there. I think it's good when in non-conference you can play somebody like you. And the Cajuns have been able to do that this year. I think that's only going to help them. I like this team. I like the chemistry on this team. I like the way this team smiles because I spent some time with them the last three days. They're, they're enjoying playing. They're enjoying each other. And, and I think that they understand that, you know, that they've got, they've got some possibilities here. Uh, and they're, they're working hard and they're playing well. And team chemistry is huge, right? And, and, that's, mm-hmm. and if they actually enjoy playing with each other, that is something uh, that is a huge X factor for teams that want to be contenders. And this Cajun team obviously is one of those. Jay, always appreciate the conversation, brother. Enjoy the call uh, uh, Thursday, right, against Tech, and then obviously Saturday on the road at Florida State. And we'll talk to you next week, bud. I look forward to it. Thanks so much. Go Cajuns. Hey, just want to share some news with you. Lyle Lovett in his acoustic group are coming to the Hyman Performing Arts Center on Friday, February 24th. This is a big deal. Huge name. Lyle Lovett. You won't want to miss this incredible night of live music. Pre-sale tickets go on sale today, starting at 10 a.m., just less than two hours from right now. So get your tickets at www.ticketmaster.com. That's www.ticketmaster.com. And use the pre-sale code Lyle. Once again, get your pre-sale tickets today to see Lyle Lovett and his acoustic group at the Hyman Performing Arts Center. Visit www.ticketmaster.com and use the pre-sale code 
Lyle to get your tickets today for Lyle Lovett and the Acoustic Group performing at the Hyman on February 24th. We got to take a timeout. When we return, we're going to discuss our foodie poll question of the week. Roundtable discussion coming up with Hannah, Moses, and the wild man, Steve Wiley. That's all coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Want to join in the discussion with RP3? Then just give us a call on the hotline. You know the number. 2-4-9-5-6-7-8. I can't hear you. You're trailing off. And did I catch a niner in there? Were you calling from a walkie-talkie? No need to be embarrassed. Just call us at 337-706-0111. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Tune in tonight from 6 to 7 for the McNeese Coaches Show presented by Maplewood Burgers. Line a bed out of Westlake and the Southwest Louisiana Law Center. The great one, Jim Gazzolo, will be talking all things Cowboys as the McNeese Coaches Show will be broadcasting from the Maplewood Burgers location at 4453 Nelson Road in Lake Chuck. So make sure to tune in tonight starting at 6 for the McNeese Coaches Show right here on The Game 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. It's Wednesday. It's near the end of the show, which means, wait for it, foodie poll question of the week roundtable discussion. Here we go. This was inspired by my daughter, who is not a fan of the pepperoni. She doesn't want it on her pizza. She doesn't want it in her hot pocket. And the other day, we only did not have ham and cheese Hot Pockets. So there was pepperoni or there was steak and cheddar. And my daughter looked at me and went, no. She settled for the steak and cheddar, which she actually said that she enjoyed. But she does not like pepperoni. So that led me to believe, made me question rather, what is the best Hot Pocket? 53% of you are saying pepperoni pizza. 24% say ham and cheese, 13% say Philly steak and cheese, 10% say other, more than nearly 60 of you have voted on this, a slew of different comments. Hootat Forever says, of the current ones, the pepperoni's the best, but it's almost canceled out by the mere thought of the hot pepperoni falling out the pocket and hitting your chin. <laughs> it does do that. You got to watch out. Them hot pockets will burn you in a heartbeat. That's our poll question of the day. It's our foodie poll question of the week. So I'm going to start off this roundtable discussion with the man beside me, the wild man, Steve Wiley, who when I brought up earlier in the hallway what the foodie poll question of the week was going to be, he was aghast. The mouth was open. <laughs> the disappointment poured out of him like a sieve because apparently Steve Wiley says no bueno when it comes to the hot pockets explain yourself two thumbs down my brother <laughs> uh -uh. hot pockets no why not I, I don't understand. because they suck that's why <laughs> okay now in deference to your daughter i definitely got to go along with something that she said i don't care for pepperoni either i don't like it on my pizza it's too damn salty he is the wild man. <laughs> he is Sorry. the wild man. I mean, <laughs> Hot Pockets, yeah. I mean, I, I tried those when they were a new product, and uh, I don't know. To me, it tastes like it was made in a laboratory somewhere. 
a laboratory. Laboratory. Yeah, are there any natural ingredients in Hot Pockets at all? Steve, I'd be willing to bet you 90% of the food that you're digesting on a weekly basis, most of it's not natural food, bud. It's yeah. just 2022. How about those, those, those biscuits you eat almost every morning? I Circle made K. those biscuits. Not those biscuits you just made today <laughs> and yesterday. Oh, those other ones? You the other ones at the Have convenience you store. I've kind of been phasing those out. You were still eating them. I didn't eat them today or yesterday. I, I ate my homemade cornbread. Time out. Is there is there leftover biscuits to be eaten? Yes, there are. I'll take care of that. All Don't right, worry cool. about that. I'll yeah. take one too. Yeah, see, there you go. Not. One, two, boom, done. <laughs> That's right. We missed out on the cornbread because you you left. You 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 you, you, you skedaddled. You skedaddled out of here. You so snooze, you lose. Steve says no, no. Comes out hard against the hot pocket. He says two thumbs down. All right, Moses. I believe you are a Hot Pocket guy. You probably enjoy them. So what's your go-to? What's your favorite? What's the best Hot Pocket? If I had to choose from the ones on the poll question, I'd say pepperoni pizza. But, but there was another option, Moses. I know. That's why I have to Other. Other. So I looked them up, and it's Italian-style meatballs and mozzarella. Oh, there we go. That sounds good. Right. Now, someone on the poll question actually said the barbecue beef one says in, it's always hard to find because they always sell out of them. That is the best of the best. I have yet to have the Hot Pocket that is the barbecue beef. I know there was a thing. Me either. Now I do. It'd be like the McRib. The McRib yeah, of Hot Pocket. The farewell them. tour. Stop. Yeah, farewell tour. I'm sure it'll be back next year. Back <laughs> yeah. by popular demand. Okay, <laughs> the farewell so, tour. So... If you had to pick one, you'd say pepperoni. But other, what's your go? Say what your go-to is again. Italian style meatballs and mozzarella. Italian style meatballs and mozzarella. There we go. Okay, so Moses has spoken. Producer extraordinaire. I don't know what you're more disgusted by: Steve's take on hot pockets <laughs> or Dennis Allen's press conference from yesterday. Oh, oh, Dennis. Let's oh. not go back there. Oh, Dennis. Where you the blood pressure went down. Where you became the female foot for three hours on this show. People <laughs> are still commenting. Is that what all that was about? I could hear it down the hall. <laughs> yeah. You down, scared Down Steve. in the studio where I was working. I was I was yelling so loud, apparently, that James was like, wait, you yell? You, you scream loud? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you could hear the, like, the background of being my voice being so hot on the microphone. It was It was bad. It was bad. People were asked, "Are you sure your last name is, you know, Adams? It's not Foot. I, yes. I promise it's not." Yes, I was getting worried about you. All because Every, of everybody was. I got a free beefsteak jerky thing yesterday because <laughs> I was so amazing. But no, um, pepperoni pizza, hands down, is the best. Me and Mo's actually agree. We already high fived about it. We I'm did. kind of upset that we Hattie did. doesn't like pepperoni. It's a little, it's a little it frightening me there. A little bit too. Yeah, but we guessed right. We both guessed right. Yeah. It was ham and cheese was her favorite. <laughs> ham and we were cheese like, is my yes. favorite. Yes. <laughs> ham and cheese that. is my favorite. Hot Pocket. I eat them all. Even the one that has broccoli in it, I will eat that one. It's good. The problem with the Hot Pocket, because each Hot Pocket is different, yep. when you heat them up in the microwave, some would come out nice and flaky and soft and perfect. And others will be super hard around the corners where you can't even eat them. Minute 17. Minute 17. Is the go-to. Yep. It does not matter what the hot pocket is. You microwave it for a minute 17. Yep. That's the sweet spot. Yep. There we it go. It takes a minute and 17 seconds to throw it in the trash. 
Oh, 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 wow. I think I might ban Steve Wiley from these round tables. Don't worry. I'll cut off his mic right now. Yes. Oh, oh, oh. See you, wild man. Thanks for playing. <laughs> oh, that's going to do it for this foodie poll question roundtable discussion. Don't forget to get your votes in. Still get those comments in. We'll update it before we sign off on today's RP3 and company. Next week, obviously, we'll have it again, but it'll be all about Thanksgiving sides. Giving you guys a heads up, Thanksgiving side dishes will be what we'll be discussing next week. But coming up next, after this timeout, Andrew Juge from the Saints Happy Hour podcast will be joining us right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Houdan is ready for Saints talk. They give to Camara, breaks through, spins at the two, into the end zone, touchdown! Time to talk Saints with the Big Easy Blitz here on RP3 and Company. Hey, the New Orleans Pelicans defeated the Memphis Grizzlies last night, 113-102. That snapped a losing skid. That's something positive coming out of New Orleans these days, right? That's something to be excited about. Let's talk about that instead of the woeful Saints. C.J. McCollum, can he play football? Can he line up on defensive line? What about Zion? Can he line up on the defensive line as well? Maybe have C.J. be a D.B.? Andrew, what do you think? Can we recruit Pelicans players to help the Saints not look like trash? Uh, I would certainly be open to it. Uh, look, they're, they're so banged up and so injured that I, I'll take players anywhere I can get them. I think my co-host, Ralph, who uh, is notorious, is well known for having a bad arm. I think he's the backup <laughs> left tackle right now. <laughs> the backup left tackle. Oh, that's not good. That's, that's no good. That's no good. All right. You don't get to this point in the season to being three and seven overnight, right? And has this start to the season and everything that's happened, and I know injuries have played a role, but has this exposed their philosophy? Has this exposed this team and this franchise? And what I mean by that is, is it finally to the point now where they're having to kind of pay the piper for kicking the can down the road all those years while trying to be a title contender yeah I, I think it's kind of become so you know part of this plan is is that you keep you keep extending contracts into the future and, and eventually you kind of hit a crossroad where those players they get older they start to get injured more consistently and they're not producing at the level of their contract and you can't really get out of them and so uh you know that that was going to happen one day or another and it feels like it's kind of happening now uh and honestly, not a big surprise that it would happen in a day and time where Sean Payton's left. I think he saw maybe the writing on the wall a little bit, and uh, he wanted to get out before having to deal with a season like this. So um, it, it, it's not a huge surprise, and yet I do think the season has been disappointing. But, you know, we'll have plenty of time, obviously, to talk about offseason plans and, and what, what the next move is for the Saints. But, but to answer your question, I, I think yes. I, I think there's going to be a tough – decision for Mickey Loomis to make just in terms of what contracts can he get out of what is he willing to stomach in terms of dead money and is this the time where he kind of tries to manage it and maybe let go of a couple players but keep a couple and try to stay competitive or does he wipe the whole slate clean and uh, 
you know, just kind of go with a full rebuild. I have to ask you about Dennis Allen because I am not knee-jerk reaction guy. Okay, I'm very patient, and I, I'm usually the one that's preaching patience to others about wanting to get rid of coaches. But when I hear him talk to the media this Monday, Andrew, and he says that, well, you know, the, the message was just to have fun, but now I've told them that, you know, our, our backs are against the wall. You know, it, it's time, it, 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 you know, it's a sense of urgency now. That reeks of a guy that is in over his head as a head coach. If if you're waiting until you're three and seven to make your team feel like there's a sense of urgency going on, that's a huge problem. A huge problem. Yeah, I hear you. Um, I, I think when you look at Dennis Allen specifically, I don't know too many coaches that would be successful if they lose their starting quarterback. So I, I, I will say this, and this isn't to defend him, but I, I think if you look league-wide, if your quarterback breaks four vertebrae in his back, tears a tendon in his foot, and you are forced to start your backup, uh, I, I think that is a death sentence for most coaches in the league. And there are very few teams in the NFL that can recover from that. You, you can't win in the league without your quarterback consistently. Now, give Dallas some credit. They've been able to make that happen with Cooper Rush, but that's the exception of the rule. And so – you know, I do think injuries have played a part. Uh, and, and you look at the Saints at three and seven, obviously it's a disappointment. But, uh, I, you know, what's interesting, Raymond, is that if it was any other coach, let's say they had hired Darren Rizzi or Aaron Glenn instead of Dennis Allen, I don't think they would be getting the same heat. And I do think Dennis Allen is maybe, you know, we can talk about whether this is fairly or unfairly. He's getting taxed a little bit by his stint with the Raiders. And I think people are quickly going back to his record when he was with the Raiders and that organization. And they're attributing that. I think we lost Andrew. Yeah. We'll get Andrew back on, on the phone here. Looks like the connection for the Zoom is not all that strong. We've frozen up, Andrew. Andrew, the 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 system actually said it was not going to allow him to discuss more about Dennis Allen. <laughs> I was like, no, 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 no. There'll be none of that. There'll be none of that going on with the, the defending of uh, – slight slight defending of, of Dennis Allen there as we try to get our guy from the Saints Happy Hour podcast – Back on the line, Andrew Juge here for the Big Easy Blitz. All right, Andrew, got you back here. Uh, Zoom apparently didn't want to hear you uh, slightly defending Dennis Allen. Now, <laughs> that said, I, I look, I, I get your point. Injuries do play a role. Losing your quarterback plays a role. I, I get all that. But there's some fundamental things here that – speak to me that 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 worry me long term you were in charge of the defense the defense has been trash I, I I just the defense has not been good they can't get the they can't get a team off the field on third down they struggle with stopping the run they give up big chunk plays they miss tackles religiously that's not a sign and that was supposed to be the strength of the team 
and yet it's become a weakness of this team, is that, and I just worry about that, that the defense has gone into the tank after he became the head coach. Is he trying to do too much? Is he trying to be the head coach and still the defensive coordinator? Is he letting his coordinator actually coordinate? Or is it just a title? These are some fundamental things that I think need to be explored and he needs to be held accountable for. Those are all fair things, Raymond. I completely agree with you. And, and you know, to take it a step further, I think when the Saints felt like they were in this loop of being 7-9 and nine for a long time during the Sean Payton era, you know, the, the prevailing feeling there was, man, if you can just fix the defense, yep. this team is back to being ready to compete. And that was because you had confidence that Sean Payton had the offense figured out, that the offense was humming, everything was good, and he's an expert at, at calling plays and, and, and handling the offense. And they continued to be successful on that side of the ball, even when they were historically bad defensively. So I think this would feel better if the defense was dominant and the Saints were struggling to win games purely because of the offense. But to your point, when the thing that is his specialty is what is fighting the Saints team as much as the offense, I think that's where you start to lose confidence. Uh, you know, you know the, the last thing I'll say about this, Raymond, to kind of pivot a little bit from a decision. Look, first of all, there's seven games left. So I think calling for Dennis Allen and the hit pieces that are out there on him right now, I just I don't think it's appropriate. You have to wait seven weeks to see how the season plays out. He's not going to get fired midseason. And, you know, how these next seven games play out, I think, will determine whether he's one and done or whether he continues to coach the Saints beyond this year. But, but I will say this. If Mickey Loomis decides that he wants a full rebuild, Dennis Allen was not hired to do that job. Dennis Allen was hired to continue a culture, to maintain a level of play that the Saints felt they were already at. And if at any point Mickey Loomis feels like that's not working, the existing culture isn't, isn't working anymore for this team to be successful, and we got to start all over from scratch – then I do think it makes more sense to maybe let him go after a year because he really he was hired for a continuation status. He was not hired for a full rebuild. Andrew, I agree. You got seven games left. You want to see maybe what this team can do down the stretch, how they can get things together, if he can rally the team, right? Uh, I, this is not a playoff team, in my opinion, but – would like to see if the team can respond to him and if he can coach him up, right? And that'll be your decision on what you're going to do moving forward. Let me ask you about a more pressing situation and one that has to be done now. What are they going to do at quarterback? Because some people want to see Jameis, not because they think Jameis is that much of an improvement over Andy Dalton, just because they think maybe Jameis can give the team overall a spark more so than Andy can and look both have been turnover machines this year when they've played so really you're you're you know damned if you do damned if you don't uh do you believe Dennis Allen will go back to Jameis Winston this week or next week did I hear you say the word playoffs playoffs oh no they're not making I just hope they can win a game yes um no but but seriously uh I I think the move to Jameis is now and uh look I Andy Dalton has had – I really don't blame the Saints for shelving Jameis Winston because he was hurt. 
I don't blame them for going to Andy Dalton. I don't blame them for sticking with Andy Dalton when the offense was humming. They won a couple games. The, it, it felt like they were moving the ball consistently. That has completely stopped over the last two weeks. And when you look at how much they're struggling to move the football now, Andy Dalton was never going to be a guy that elevates the offense. He, he's a guy that's a game manager. You know, he might not lose the game for you, but he's not going to go out there and win it for you. He doesn't have a supreme talent. And, you know, say what you will about Jameis Winston, he does have elite arm talent. And same with Taysom Hill. He has elite talent with his legs. And so I think right now this offense is in such a bad way. You need a guy in there. And, and look, Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston both have their limitations, but they at least have an elite skill that can elevate the offense just by function of what they're able to do. Andy Dalton really can't. So if he's not supported – by a strong run game, good blocking up front, uh, good good kind of supporting defense on the other side of the ball. Then I just you can't win with Andy Dalton if he if he doesn't have support. Uh, and, and Andrew, I will say I, I this: seen, I will say this one final thing. You can't win. Period. I don't care who's the quarterback. If you don't get the ball in the playmakers' hands, which is Taysom Hill and Alvin Kamara, those are your two best playmakers. Yep. Chris Olave's number three. This notion of not putting the ball in their hands the last few weeks that falls on Pete Carmichael, that falls on Dennis Allen, it's unbelievable to me that they don't – this is football 101, dude. This is football 101. Hey, we're a struggling team. Let's put the ball in our best players' hands because the best players on the team give us the best chance to win. This is from the principal of peewee football, high school football, JUCO <laughs> – college, D3, NFL, it doesn't matter. And the fact that they don't understand that is alarming to me. Alarming. Well, the principal of Pee Wee football sounds like a smart man. I'd like to meet him someday. Uh, but uh, no, there, there, there's no question that – and look, this has been a criticism of Jameis Winston too in the past is that he just hasn't thrown the football enough to, to Kamara and gotten him – Correct. Uh, his, his needed touches, but no, you're completely right. And, and look, I, I do think the time is now to go back to Jameis Winston. Uh, there, there's just a question of, obviously, from a health perspective, how effective can he be when he's dealing with the broken back, still the foot issue? But at this point, I think you got to mix it up and try something else. And I, I have consistently said with Andy Dalton, he's week to week. And when he was playing well, I, I said on this show, I think he's earned the right to start another game based on the way he's played. Uh, but but I was never willing to look any further than that because the minute this offense started to revert back to this level, then you have to start considering a change again, and I think we're there. So at this point, whether you, I, I don't know that it's going to matter or make a difference because, quite frankly, Raymond, the way they blocked up front in this past game against Pittsburgh, I'm not sure Jameis Winston would have made it out of that game alive. So – they may need to protect him from himself, uh, but I, I think whether you go to Taysom Hill or Jameis Winston, to me, it's time for a change right now. You move on from Andy Dalton. You, you shake things up. You see if that can jumpstart the offense. And, and hopefully, uh, you know, Jameis Winston's feeling healthy enough that he can make some plays. All right, Andrew. Hannah Five Names would like to respond to something that you said. I'm going to let her do this because unbeknownst to you, yesterday – she grabbed the microphone. She's standing up right now. She's so angry with the Saints that she actually took control of the show and she ranted 
Sweet Hannah got so angry, she vented about Dennis Allen and was screaming about him. So I'm going to let her uh, take a moment to address you. <laughs> okay, so I, I agree with most of what you're saying, but do you think Dennis Allen even knows Taysom Hill's name or Alvin Kamara's name? Or does he just want to start all these random people just so that I can say, oh, I started all these people. I got all these people, you know, active in my roster, but he won't put it in anybody else's hands. You have, you know, Taysom Hill who puts three touchdowns and then doesn't get the ball again for the next three games. Like, does he know their names or he's like, eh, they're ghosts? It's it's a fair question. Well, you know, I think Pete Carmichael is really the one that calls the play. So I, I don't know that Dennis Allen does know their names because he's not really – you know, other than maybe having approval on the game plan, he, he's really let Pete Carmichael do his thing on offense because Dennis Allen very much is, is yeah, he's the leader of the ship, but he's a defensive-minded guy. So this isn't that dissimilar from when Sean Payton and Greg Williams were running the show and yep. Greg Williams was allowed to kind of operate on his own. And right. that's, that's what Pete Carmichael's doing. And so, look, I think Pete Carmichael's actually had a couple good games this year and uh, you, you always match up wise. You got to think about what's working, what's not working. But to your point, and I, I just think when you look at Taysom Hill with three touches, I know he only had one yard. I know it wasn't really working, but you got to keep going to the well because at the end of the day, do you want to be throwing balls to Kevin White? <laughs> you know, like that's because that's the alternative. The answer for everyone is no, Andrew. Got to go, bud. Thank you for your time. <laughs> we'll talk to you next week. <laughs> Anytime. Thanks for having me. Oh, we got to take a time out. Our final one. We'll wrap it up. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the Tigers and the Strohs. Oh, that's going to do it for today. I want to thank our guest, Jesse Coger from Plant the Spear, Florida State Seminoles. Reporter Ron Higgins from Tiger Details, Jay Walker, the longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, and Andrew Juge of the state of the Saints Happy Hour podcast. Our final results of the foodie poll question of the week, which is our poll question of the day on Wednesday. 52% of you say the best hot pocket is pepperoni pizza. 26% say ham and cheese. 12% say Philly steak and cheese. And 10% of you say other. Thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day. Thanks to all who left their comments on Facebook and on Twitter. We appreciate you. Woo, good show. Halfway through the work week, we're barreling towards that weekend. Make sure you're safe out there today. Make sure you're kind to one another. That's going to do it for us. For the intern extraordinaire, Moses Campos, the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names, I'm Raymond Parch Third. Up next... Kevin Foote and Footnotes right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros.